things might look that we know that we have mentioned. If God wants to just bless you with that, that's like, this is how I see you. And, and then I thought about the little possible things that they brought through some deep, dark things like all of us have. And the scriptures in Matthew that talks about the leaf. There's about another picture of the leaf in the like trees, they get knocked up and the roots of them grow down. They just come back up. And that's with God. And this is this church. And and that they might leave, but they might get things that they never thought of. And to be encouraged by that. And um Anyway, I can hear Ruth wherever I go. Even in the bathroom, I hear Ruth going on about messages. So it's an awesome. No matter where you go on this property, you can you're you're speaking at the offering. I just went out to you know, and, and I think we're an awesome thing. Wherever you go, you can hear what's going on in here. I'm in the bathroom and I can hear Ruth preaching at me, and I'm going, "Whoa, hello, this is freaky." But it's a cool. I tell you, it's a cool layout because it doesn't look like traditional church. Now, I don't think people today are attracted to, you know, what, you know, the, the traditional kind of look building because, you know, they're, they're mainly chapels in a neighborhood and they're meant to stay quiet and not mess with anybody and do their thing. Well, that's not the modern day church. Not only that, I've been saying to my church recently, you know, we kind of need to theologically adjust it and correct it. It, it. We're going against hundreds of years of history, but it's actually not theological to say we're going to church. It's actually more theological to say we are the church. And wherever we are gathered, we are the church together. You see, the thing is, I, I've been in churches way out in the village in the middle of Fiji. It was so dark, they didn't have light. They had a generator for a building we met in. I thought they would cook us and eat us at night. Nobody would ever miss us. We were so far away from civilization. And yet, the glory of God was in the gathering of those people. See, that's what that scripture is about. You know, the, the, the people called the church couldn't own uh, buildings or even rent buildings for the first 300 years that it existed because of the Roman Empire. It wasn't until Constantine. So we are not going to church. We are the church. And, and it brings that sense of glory because glory no longer is housed in a building. When the temple veil was split in two, glory departed. And it rested on people. And what Paul talked about in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, about with Moses, he would go in face to face with God even before there was a temple, and he would come out and put a veil on his face so that glory wouldn't kind of fade away, but it kept fading. Even as great as Moses was, he couldn't contain the glory. And yet the Bible tells us that we are the hope of glory, and it's within us, which is an awesome thing. So, you know, it's great to have it in buildings, but I think Ruth kind of said it properly Friday night. You know, buildings are great, but it's really about the people. And God's about people. I mean, you think about it. The whole message and the whole deal about Christianity is an incarnational thing. 
God becoming flesh. Even this thing was written by flesh and blood. Even God himself, the Son of God, became man, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the one, that's not the message, you know, I don't know why I'm going off on that. I've got your bug. It's called middle age, Chris. I tell you that, but anyway. But what I'm trying to say to you, that it's, it's an awesome property, and, and it speaks of your commitment and your excellence and stuff. I love it. You just walk in. Look at the old picture and the new one. You walk in that courtyard, and you don't feel like you're going to some kind of religious institution. You feel like you're at a place that is welcoming, and you can gather there, and then all of a sudden, boom, God shows up because God's people are here. And glory hits the place, which is awesome. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's a great day for you, but I think God wants to say to you, it's a new day. It's not the same day. It's not the old day. It's not a different day. It's a new day. And the deal is this. You've got an incredible future ahead of you. There's a Christian sociologist named Leonard Sweet, and he wrote a book called Soul Tsunami. In other words, the tidal wave of change. that was. He wrote it in the year 2000, which is interesting. And he talked about the tidal wave of change that was facing the church of the future. Now, it's interesting to look back 15 years on that book and go, it's happening. And, I mean, there is this wave of change. But he asked a question. Here's, it's a brilliant question. Can the church make the future what God wants it to be? I want you to think about that. Can the church make the future what God wants it to be? And to live out that future that God wants for you means that you've got to change. You've got to go into a new day. And I believe one of the things that moving into a property like this does for you, it, it, it positions you to get ready for change. You do not want to be the same as you were in the school. You cannot be. And one of the things that God showed us, we're convinced now, had we gotten that big building that we were looking at, we would have just become a bigger version of the same in a different location. Whereas God was trying to emerge, cause us to emerge as a new church. I, I, I don't want to go through that with you. That's our vision. That's our journey. We just we launched our, our uh, three-year vision just a few weeks ago, and, and we had a marketing team come up. We said, look, this is what it's about. Come up with some stuff that all the young people are like. Because they, they like all that stuff. And they came up with a phrase, because our, our name is, you know, C3 Victory. And, and the phrase of our next three-year vision is Victory Emerging. In other words, we're coming from something to something. And I believe the church today needs to emerge. And I believe that you will emerge into something powerful for the kingdom of God because you've now got a, a position, you've got a, you've got a prospect of being something different than you were. You know, it, you know what Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And the truth is, if you were going to reach the central coast the way you were, you would have already, already reached it by now. And so God now positions you to say, I'm going to take you to the next step. You need to emerge into that next step and do that. And, and when we talk about emerging, we're following in the footsteps of our forerunners, the first church. I want you to think about that for a minute. They emerged from a culture of religion into a community that was dynamic. They're in this highly religious culture. It was stale. It was old. It was lifeless. It couldn't save a soul. And all of a sudden, boom, God hits the scene. The Holy Spirit comes, and this community emerges. It's infectious. It's electric. It's impacting its world. They say that by the time, uh, by the time Titus sacked Jerusalem, less than 40 years after the church was born, more than half of Jerusalem had come into Christianity. That's awesome. 
the very city that took Jesus and said, you are not the Christ, crucify him, have now turned to him in mass and said, we follow him. Now, I want to tell you, that is something emerging powerfully. That is incredible. And I'm telling you, we are still feeling the ripple effect of that 2,000 years plus down the track. More than 50% of the population of the planet today, in some form or another, say we believe in Jesus as the Christ. We are talking alive, not dead now. Billions of people, at least 3 billion people across the planet would put their hand up and say, this was a man who owned nothing, possessed nothing, came from a poor, despised village in north. He said, a Galilean? Carpenter's son? What can he do? He never wrote anything. He never owned anything. Had to send his guys out fishing to get a coin to pay the taxes. Couldn't build anything. Had 12 men, and one of them betrayed him. And yet today, the largest movement on the planet has emerged because of that. That's the church. That's the church. We still feel that thing, and I love the story that tells us of the emergence of the first church. Now, I preached this as one of my sermons back, I don't know, 36, 37 years ago. Yes, I've been preaching that long. It, it sounds funny, doesn't it? I started preaching when I was five years old. No, no, that's not true. I have to really confess to some lies and stuff. Is that right? But I'll tell you, reading this story, it, it stirs me, it excites me, it gives me faith. Because this is the church. This is what we are. And in Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn there. If not, I think they're going to put it on the screen. As uh, my young adults later says, if you get out your analog Bible, because uh, all, the, all the youth have all their electronic Bibles. It says, just use your analog, analog Bible today and stuff like that. Why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you for your Word. It's rich. It's powerful. It's, it's a life-giving Word. It's full of faith. Faith comes when we hear it. And God, I want to pray a stirring of the Holy Spirit, who is the author. We don't want to walk out of here today the same. God, we want to change and emerge into, be a, into being a church that can make the future that you've ordained. And so, Father, I pray for everyone that hears your word that the Holy Spirit will move. Lord, he'll drop seeds of faith. And God, we'll begin to believe the unbelievable. We'll begin to believe that the impossible can be done. And we want to thank you for this incredible, life-giving word in its healing, in its salvation, in its deliverance, in its life. So, Father, we thank you for this rich word. And, Lord, we know as we read it right now, there will be an anointing on that word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 41. Those who gladly received his word. On the day of Pentecost, thousands upon thousands of people saw this weird, strange happening, and they said, these people are drunk. Must be Aussies. No. You meet Aussies anywhere. We, we, we went on a cruise after sabbatical. i got to tell you a few stories. Is that all right? Can I tell some stories? Yeah, all right. I mean, most people never remember the points you preach. They just remember the stories. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, if I'm telling you a story, I'm not preaching. I'm telling the truth. You'll get that in a minute. Anyway. Um, we're on a cruise and they do the, whatever it is, induction or initiation. Whatever you do, you're going, everybody's got to go in the theater. And the, and the host on this cruise was an Aussie. And even though it wasn't an Australian line. And he said, there are, how many? 3,000 passengers on board and about 2,500 Aussies and all the bartenders are happy. That's what he said. He said, because usually when the Aussies come on board, we run out of alcohol. That's a bad reputation, isn't it? Anyway, 
I thought they were drunk. And Peter gets up and says, they're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Are you kidding? And all of a sudden, this coward who got filled with the Holy Spirit becomes a crusader. And he starts saying, this Jesus that you just had crucified, God has made him both Lord Jehovah and Christ the Messiah. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just pierces their heart. And they said, what must we do? And he said, you've got to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your sins will be remitted. They'll be washed away and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this is not just for you. It's not for you, but it's also for your children and for everyone. Now he's speaking over you. Everyone whom the Lord our God will call who are afar off. He looks down through history. He sees people like you and me. People, one day we heard a message. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in church, going to church, being the church, not wanting anything to do with the church. I thought it was the weirdest thing on the planet. I was a total heathen. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. Didn't own a Bible, didn't go to church. The only thing I knew about Jesus was that's why we have Christmas and Easter. As long as I didn't play that boring music on the radio, Christmas Day. Because I want to hear my music. I had nothing to do with it at all. One day out of the blue, teenager at high school, heading off into, into the drug culture. I, I, was actually, uh, I was actually the local champion in wrestling, not that TV junk. That stuff is totally false. It is. I'm telling you, it's totally false. It's more Hollywood than it is wrestling. I did the, I did the uh, Olympic stuff, you know, freestyle wrestling. And don't ask me why they put a sock down the front, because we never did that. You ever seen that in the Olympics? The guys do that. I'm serious, and I don't know why. Nah, 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 nah. Anyway, I started, yeah, get off that subject. We wore lycra, and we were okay with it. Anyway. And so anyway, I, I was on the state champion team. I was, the, I was the, the champion of our city in my white class. And all of a sudden, I started heading off into a drug culture and lost my position on that, sleeping with my girlfriend, lost, it, lost my position on the wrestling team. I was, my grades were going down. But I thought, man, this is living. This is what life's all about. Then all of a sudden, one of my best mates, he didn't go out with us for the weekend. He comes to high school on Monday, and we're sitting in the commons area. And we're kind of, oh, we're kind of not too good for the weekend before. And, uh, and I looked up at him and I said, where were you last night, Tom? We all went out. We're in a fraternity together. You heard of those fraternities and sort? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a fraternity and our logo was called Tri-Pi, three exits across our jersey. You could figure out what kind of fraternity it was. And we're sitting there in the commons area, heads down, pounding. And I said, where were you last night? You didn't go out with us. And he said, I went to church with my girlfriend. What about it? I put my head down like, Scott, not you. And he said, and he didn't stop me. He goes, and watch more of Keith. I met the most incredible person last night. His name's Jesus Christ, and you need him. One day old as a Christian. I mean, days before that, we're hooning around in his V8 Camaro listening to Black Sabbath. One day old. He didn't know one Bible verse. He didn't know one Christian song, but he knew Jesus. And he wasn't ashamed. Changed his life. So I did what any teenager would do. I was 17 years old. I looked up at him and said, Tommy, go to hell. And he looked at me and said, you are, I'm not. <laughs> I thought, oh, hello, what's happened here? I know what's happened. He met the greatest person on the planet, Jesus Christ. Changed my life forever. Somewhere along the track, we've heard that message, and it's like, it's not normal, it's not natural. Something starts happening inside. And I went to this church. It was a Southern Baptist church, as they say in Alabama. I'm a Baptist boy, what are you? 
That's how they talk. I'm a, they don't say Baptist, it's Baptist. I'm a Baptist, boy, what are you? I don't dance and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. You know, that kind of stuff. I thought this is weird. We walked in, long aisle, sloping floor. I figured out why, because we sat at the back and they thought, if we can't get him to make a commitment, we'll push him and he'll accelerate towards the front and they'll get him. Anyway, people up front in bathrobes that looked like singing songs that were hundreds of years old. I didn't understand it. We're, we're headed for this church service in this Camaro listening to ZZ Top, Black Sabbath, and favorite group was Alice Cooper. I know, it's weird. And, uh, and all of a sudden they get up and they're singing words I don't even understand. And I leaned over to Tommy and said, is this English? He said, yeah. He said, sing, sing things like I sucker thee. And I looked at him and said, I'm not doing that for anybody. What are they talking about? <laughs> How weird is church? How weird is church? But in all of that, something started happening inside that I couldn't actually explain or control. It was God. Because the message of Jesus supersedes all those patterns. All of a sudden, I heard the greatest story ever told. That God loves you so much that He sent heaven's best, His one and only Son. You know, if God could have found anything in any other way to do it, you think He would have, but He didn't. He sent heaven's best, His one and only Son. And I heard that message, and something started happening inside Him. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. He killed Him. What can we do? from what you think about it. Come to Him. Be baptized. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And bang, this community emerged. Never existed before in history. Wow. Electricity, vitality. People change forever. And so in verse 41, I think I better read the Scripture tonight. Then those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's a miracle. Verse 42, as a boy who got saved in a Southern Baptist church, I, my mind goes to the place of baptizing 3,000 in one setting. Wrinkled skin. Anyway, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And, and it should literally say, because in the original Greek, the, uh, the, the definite article is there. It should say, that fellowship, not just fellowship. I'm telling you because I know that. I can read that stuff. It says, that fellowship. And that's important. They weren't just hanging together and being Christian pals. They were committed to the fellowship. Okay? In the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Man, we've got a great beginning, church. I'm telling you, we've got a great heritage. And, and something emerged in history that continues to this day. And I think God still calls us to keep emerging. But there's three words. I'm going to give you three words and then two points, if that's all right. I'm going to watch my time. I remember I got educated in the Baptist seminary and we preached by the, by the calendar, not the clock. So, so uh, anyway, there's three words that kind of frame this passage, and they're simple words. And the first one is this, continue. Continue. And it's found in verses 42 and 46, but depending on the version you read, it could say, 
devoted or devoting. They continued or they were devoted. And it literally means to continue to do something with intense effort. In other words, they kept doing this. This wasn't a fad. This wasn't a feeling. This wasn't a buzz just for the moment. They were so devoted to it, they committed to it with intense effort. That's the church. It emerged with that kind of passion and commitment and an action that just continued and continues to this day. They say in Australia right now that the church is irrelevant and archaic. In the Hunter region, more than 74% of the people in a survey about a year or two ago said, we believe in God, but I think it was less than 15%, even less than that, said, but we don't believe in the church. That's it's irrelevant. It's, it's, a, it's a big white elephant in society. Well, I beg to differ. Because what started back then continues today. Maybe some of the traditions and the organization and the style might be a little bit old-fashioned, but the core of Christianity is, not, is never irrelevant. That passion, that message that burns in our hearts continues to this day. And you could even, like me, walk into the, the most kind of, uh, I guess, traditional style of service from somebody who is so, so not used to that, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit moves. He's not limited to a style, by the way. Hallelujah. And so the word continue, the second word is common. Not common as, gee, that's common. No, no, no. It's an expression that talks about the, the life they had and the things they shared. And that's what, you know, took the attention of the city. They looked at this group of people and went, that's wild. They're feeding their widows. They're taking care of people who don't have jobs. They're not just going and doing the traditional religious thing. They're actually loving people. It's different. Love. We just thought love. No, no, no. And they emerged out of a religion and into a community that just pulsated with life and love. And, and they freely expressed that with each other and around the city. No wonder it captured the attention of the city. What did Jesus say? They're going to know you actually follow me because of your love you have for one another. That's what marks Christianity. Not our buildings, as nice as they are. Um, we had Aussie friends who went over to visit the Crystal Cathedral in California. And you know how Aussies are. They walked up to the caretaker and said, so where's the big glass tomato house, tomato growing house? <laughs> Guys, you're in California, just chill. Um, listen, they shared this stuff in common. The third word is together. And I know it seems simple, but listen to me. The church emerged out of a practice of meeting because it was the religious thing to do. And they emerged to become a group of people who couldn't wait to be together. Saturday, we're going to go to the temple again. I think I'm going to find sickness today. You know, there was an article that came out, I don't know, five years ago, something like that, Chris, that said it used to be in Australia, if you were called a twicer, you went to church twice a Sunday. Now, this was about, I think five or six, seven years ago, it said now if you're a twicer, it means you only go twice a month. They say it's even gotten worse, that you're a good Christian if you show up with the church about once every three or four weeks. Where's it going, guys? It's not going to what it was born as. They're not valuing together anymore. It's all negotiable and convenient. And yet this church couldn't wait to be together. It says daily they were together. Daily they were together. Because being together was more than a commitment to a religious meeting. Don't, don't, don't 
come together because you go, golly, the pastors are going to be angry at us if we don't show up. Even if that were true, I'm sure it's not. Well, it's not here. It might be with me up there. But even if that were true, even if that were true, it's the wrong reason to come. Wrong reason. You should come because life together is so much better than separate. That's it. And see, the description of the early church wasn't just about being together in a location. It was about being together in passion, in heart, in mind. If you, if you read, if you've got a New King James, like I do, verse 46 says, they continued daily with one accord. That wasn't a Honda, by the way. It's a weird phrase, one accord. I don't know about you, but I mean, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd read Job and Job, and one accord would mean a Honda. I didn't understand all that stuff. One accord is a weird word. It's a compound word in the original. Homotimadon. Homos literally means sharing together. Right in the middle, it's got a word called thumos. And thumos is where they got the word anger, passion. When they saw wine fermenting, they used that word. So it's, a, it's, it's an emotion that stirs and causes something to move and to change and to do something. And so he's saying when they are together and they're locked together, there is this heat of passion that just keeps things wild and going and, and committed. It's, it's an incredible phrase. It's used more by Luke in the book of Acts than it is anywhere else in the Bible. Because he wants to describe this emerging community as a community that is together with passion. You're not going to separate them, God. So they continue their things, life in common. By the way, the word common is the, is the root form of the word fellowship. Koinonia. Same word. And so all of a sudden we see this community, this church, emerging, and here's the first point, with a distinct call. That's very important. Anybody that kind of works with our staff or hangs around our staff or leaders in our church, they know that ultimately they have a conversation with me I'm eventually going to get around to this question. So what's the Lord calling you to do? What's He said to you? Because when God calls, nothing's going to shift you from that. When you know you've heard that sweet, powerful voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. And you've got this call. The only reason we would do what we do is because we've got a call from God. Why in the world would this guy go out and, and, and make a lot more money doing education and Ruth with her occupation than doing this? You don't make a lot of money doing this. You don't make a lot of friends doing this. I'm sure there's as many people in Newcastle that if you said Keith Edwards, I'm sorry, thank you. Then they'd smile. I'm sure. Jesus had just as many people against him than he had for him, if not more. It's not about a friendship group. It's a distinct call. And as a church, we need to be a group of people with a strong call. Now, here they are, day of Pentecost. Ten days earlier, Jesus says, wait. I hate that word. I'm like Pastor Phil. Hell is made up of lines. Yeah, I hate going to the airports because I know I'm going to be in hell for about an hour or two before I get on that plane. I hate the lines. Worst thing God could say to me is, wait. No. Why? I don't live as long as you. I can't wait. I'm not the ancient of days. He just kind of sits back and it'll happen. All of a sudden, Jesus says, wait. Verse 8, Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's a call. Listen, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Very clear, distinct call. Simple. Couldn't get more simple. But the point we need to know is it's a call to each one. There's not just 11 or 12 people hearing this. 11, because they haven't rolled the dice yet, but Matthias. There's not just 11 apostles stand there. There's, there's at least 120, if not 500, hearing this, who are following Jesus around. And he didn't look at the 11 and go, now all 11 of you, just wait. The rest of you go do what you want to do. Uh-uh. His promise is for every one of you. Every one of you wait. The call is for every one of you. It's, here's, a, here's a wrong theological thing. Oh, these guys are called, but we're not. That's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. You are called, and you have a distinct call. It's just how and where you work out that call. And so he calls them with this distinct call, but you will receive power, each one of you. And, you know, when, when, when Luke says you in grammar, English doesn't do it well because he's not saying you. He's saying all of you. It should actually say that. Yeah, you means all of you. It's easy where I come from. They just say y'all. Even if I'm just talking to Ruth, hi, how y'all going? Yeah, it's weird that way. But Luke is saying, all of y'all have got this thing. The call's not just for some of you, it's all of you. But here's the deal. The concept of being called a witness is this. It's not just about you, but it's about who you are. Don't you notice this? Oh, no, no, no. God didn't tell me to go witnessing. Of course he didn't. That's not what this verse says. God doesn't say go witnessing. You notice that? There's no verb there in that. It's a noun. He didn't say this is what you do. He says this is who you are. It's a noun. You are witnesses. It doesn't stop there because we do out of what we are. So if I'm a witness, I'm going to tell people. If I've experienced the love and the grace and the goodness of God, I can't help but tell people. Because I'm a witness. I'm a witness to this to this city I'm in about Jesus Christ because the call doesn't begin with what we do. It begins with who we are. We are His witnesses. And then that leads to what we do. But this call is accompanied with power for every one of us. Some people think it's only the apostles that got it on the day. No. All of us. And not just all of them there, but verse 39 brings it to every one of us through history. Get the same promise of the Holy Spirit and His power. And the church then emerges as a prophetic community and has the power of the Spirit that enables them to live this mission out. I think it's a bit ironic. You know, Peter quotes Job, the prophet. And he says, your sons and daughters shall, what? Prophesy. What you're seeing right here is a fulfillment of the, pro- of the prophet Joel, where he says, in the last days, these are the last days, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. There was no prophecy given on that day. There was tongues. There was fire. There was wind. But there was no prophecy. What's he talking about? A prophetic community was born. People of the prophetic word of God who can speak His Word and His goodness and His grace with prophetic witness and power wherever they're at. Anyway, that's a side issue. And the call is to impact their city and beyond for the kingdom of God. Your call today isn't just for, now I probably can't say it like you guys, Narara. I, I can't get that nasally. Narara. I, I, I shudder to think how we'd say that in Alabama. 
Now, right, we'd add another syllable or two. Southerners add, because sin becomes sin. Coffee becomes coffee. Dog becomes dog. D-A-W-G, dog. We've got our own spelling and everything. I'm telling you. And it ain't English. Your calling is to impact this city and beyond. Nearly, what was it, over 34 years ago, Janet and I answered that call. We didn't come to Australia for a better life, even though it's a great life here. It's an awesome life here. We didn't come because it was a better country. It's, it's an incredible country. We didn't come because we were migrating, looking for a future for our kids. We came because we heard the voice of God say, I'm calling you here. And so we left everything. Most of our family, not Christians, left everything. Three suitcases, ten-week-old baby on our laps, and we, it wasn't Adelaide. We flew from the east coast of America to Vegas, San Fran, Honolulu, Sydney. Uh, my first wash in Australia was in the basin in the men's room in Sydney, washing up. Then we flew from Sydney to Adelaide. Then we got on a little plane and flew from Adelaide to Wyala. We spent, yeah, your mother's laughing. Have you been to Wyala? You know what it's like. It's going to be a God thing because there's no other reason to go. <laughs> they say that Wyala was uh, founded by Muslims. Did you know that? They, they landed in Perth and they got on their camels and they ride in the east and they hit this desert city and there's a gulf in front of them and they got nowhere to go and they looked up and went, why, Allah? Anyway. Anyway. It, it had to be a call of God. It had to be. I heard a Nazarene preacher say about 40 years ago how odd of God. God does the oddest things at the oddest times in the oddest ways with the oddest people. I qualify. And then he does amazing things. Because he called you. And you might think, I don't have a call. I'm telling you, you do. It's not just for people with titles and positions. He gives you a call, but not just a call. He gives you power. And when, when we've got the Holy Spirit, that power comes upon us. And I'm telling you, it, while it's good to have programs and a, and a new vision and a new building, the call is about reaching people. You know what our senior pastor used to say about our building? They're just people warehouses. They're not sacred. They're here for the main thing, to reach people. The call is about reaching people. We said that so good Friday night. It's about reaching people. So the church didn't just emerge with a call. It also emerged with a cause. Very similar. But in the New American Standard Version, verse 42 says this, and it says it really well, they were continually devoting themselves to. This wasn't just the excitement of the moment. You know it's good to celebrate? Have the greatest party you can because next week, reality sets in. So it's like, it's like the wedding. People say, yeah, 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 they spent so much on the wedding and this, that, and the other. Guess what comes after the wedding? Marriage. What are you punching him for? He hasn't learned the lesson yet. And he's the worship director. I saw that. Now you can hug him. Give him a kiss. It's all right. Now listen, when the buzz of Pentecost wore off, this first church was still alive and well. The buzz is going to wear off here. But life is still emerging. Don't stop the life that's going on because your devotion is continual because it's got the right focus. 
The New Bible commentary said at verse 42, it's a compact description of Christian discipleship. And, and there's a focus. I don't know if you, you've noticed this, Chris, but around church quarters right now, there's a major focus on what the main thing is, making disciples. People are going, hey, come on. That's what we're meant to do. And it's stirred me over the past few months. And I like what Pastor Phil said about your your pastors, Chris and Ruth, on Friday night. He talked about their long-standing commitment to disciple-making. I mean, that is their legacy, making disciples and solid disciples. This is the Great Commission, and by the way, the only Great Commission we've been given, to make disciples. We're going to stand before Jesus in heaven one day, and he's not going to ask us this question. What did you do? You're going to stand before him, he's going to look you in the eye, and he's not going to go, Chris, what did you do? He's not going to ask that question. You know what he's going to ask? Did you do what I told you to do? I mean, it's pretty simple. It's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, go and make disciples of all nations. And I love what, uh, it's an old book, Robert Coleman, and he's, you ever read that book? Um, my edition is a 64 edition, believe it or not, and it's called Master Plan of Evangelism. And he says in that book, our task is not complete until we make disciples who make disciples. And, and we do this because it's a cause worth living for. I'm reading the book at present. We've got all our D groups. We just quietly have started D groups emerging. They're not open yet for anybody to go to. Because we don't want them just to be a new fad of kind of group to attend. We want to create disciples who make disciples. So they're reading a book by Dan Spader called Four Chair Discipling. And he says in that book, our, our command is not discipleship, but disciple making. Because the modern church has settled for a, a practice of creating big events in order to get people to make a decision. It's true. And if we somehow get them to come to church and we slot them into a course called discipleship or something like that, we've done it. And look, oh, that's not wrong. It might be a beginning step, but it still doesn't fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is make disciples who will make disciples. And that's how we'll reach the world. And it was that cause that just united the first and we've got to emerge into this thing. We've somehow, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong to have the events, but I've started asking questions. You know, I look at my life and my ministry, and as Ruth reminded me how old I am, I go, I'm probably in the fourth quarter of leadership. Not life, but leadership. That's a, that's a stunning thought that, golly, I've only done three quarters. It's about gone. I had two glories. So when are you going to transition to somebody else? I'm going, not that old. Hello. They're already talking about that stuff. And I'm going, but it's a, it's a stark reality and a wake-up call. You're in the fourth quarter, pal. What are you leaving behind? Building? I got no buildings right now. You write any books? I haven't written one yet. I've got a lot of disciples who have built churches and keep building churches and who make disciples. And I look at it and go, in my last quarter, am I going to be as committed with my money and my people and my resources to making disciples as I am to chasing programs and property and all that stuff? Now, that's just not wrong, but I've got to look at the ledger and go, how much am I spending over here versus there? Because I know this, 
For hundreds of years, the church thrived in its beginning without one building, without a book, without podcast, or the internet. And we're here today because of that. These guys committed themselves to this cause. Verse 44 says they had all this in common together, this passion, this life. They had a vision that said, we can do this. We can reach this city. We can take it to the ends of the earth. What he said is actually true because we have the Holy Spirit. We got a vision. I like what Edison said. Vision without execution is just hallucination. It's not, it's not, we've got a vision to have a building. We're like you guys, man. We're, I'm going, God, please, let me get a building before I at least hand it to some young buck. All that is just hallucination if we don't do something about it and do something with it. These guys aren't interested in just leaving a building for you. They're interested in building lives who are going to outgrow this building. One day this building is going to be redundant for you because you will emerge out of it to something even bigger. Christ, don't go so far on me. Where's your faith? You should be going, come on! might take another five or ten years. Maybe two. Chris is pretty energetic. But you're going to emerge out of this. All this stuff comes and goes. Creating disciples remains forever. Radical followers of Jesus Christ who are revolutionary in their lives. I want to just pray over your church for a second, if I can. Father, we rejoice and celebrate uh, in this occasion just an amazing sense of uh, breakthrough. Seven years of believing, working, sowing, committing. And yet, I think it's almost like you're saying those seven years were just the beginning of something new. And what's about to emerge will make those seven years pale into insignificance to what's about to occur. Father, I believe you want them to get excited. You want them to get committed. You want them to have this cause of not just seeing a great, excellent property, but seeing so many people flooding onto this property that they'll have to emerge out of it sooner than they could even imagine. God, I pray, give them, even in this day when they're celebrating, I want to pray for a little bit of a spirit of unsettledness. Don't ever let them get so comfortable that they become settlers. And they settle for this for the rest of their life here on the coast. God, I believe this is the beginning of something emerging that's going to be powerful, it's going to be prophetic, it's going to be incredible. But God, we stand here in awe of you, that just amazed that you'd choose us to do this. You, you, you change us to be your people who tell of your, your story, your goodness, your grace. Lord, it's not just about hours and dollars and chairs and sound systems, but it's about people who are committed to a cause. And every person that is sown into this, God, I pray enlargement on their lives. The pastors, Chris and Ruth and their family, I pray incredible blessing to break out. More than they have ever had, but they can't even contain it. But God, for everyone here this morning, more than anything, I pray that the message of Jesus becomes so real. That we're not just talking a building and we're not just talking a religion and we're not just talking a fad. But we're talking about 
the Son of God, who gave himself freely. Your word says so clearly, how great is the love that you lavished on us, that we could be called the children of God. And so, Father, do what you do best. Let your spirit just work right now in hearts and minds. You can do it so quick and so real. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, do what you do best. Do what you did in my life, Chris and Ruth's life, Janet's life, all these people here. Just show us Jesus for who He really is. Now the Bible says that the good news is the power of God to save anyone who believes it. And the good news is this, that God in heaven loves you so much. He sent heaven's best, His one and only Son, that if you would believe in Him, believe what about Him? That He is who He said He was. And that He can do what He said He would do. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Make us right with God. Why? Because He became the blood sacrifice on an altar one day called a cross. And what God says, the gospel is this. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That story and belief in that story is enough to save us forever. And if you have never done that, like me when I walked in that church 40-something years ago, trouble foreign, didn't like it, didn't like the culture, but all of a sudden the message about God's love just gripped my heart and He would send His one and only Son that if I would believe in Him, I would never perish. I would have life forever. And if that's you here today, I'd just love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pray you to the front. I just know for me, it wasn't about going to the front. It was about all of a sudden realizing what was going on in my heart, that God was knocking at the door of my life and saying, would you let me in? I've been trying for so long. I've loved you for so much. Would you now say yes? And if that's happening to you, I'd just like to pray with you and then uh, maybe some people here could talk to you afterwards. But if there's anybody here today who say, Pete, I'm like that. Church is a foreign culture to me, but I understand now. It's not about buildings. It's not about denominations. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. And I don't have that today. If I died today, I couldn't say to you, absolutely, I know I would stand before God in heaven and He would say, welcome, you're my child. I don't know that. And if you'd like to know that before this day is over, the Bible says you can be born again. It's that quick. But if you believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that He was raised from the dead, I'm telling you, you can be saved. Anybody like that here today? Maybe a guest, maybe somebody's been sitting in church for a while, coming to services. I'd just love to have the privilege of praying with you today. Again, not going to embarrass you, not going to call your name. I wouldn't know it anyway. I just want to pray with you and acknowledge. Because the Bible says we do need to confess. We need to acknowledge. So is there anybody here like that today? It's like, Pete, pray with me. Pray for me. I don't know. Uh, if, if something happened today, I don't know. I don't have that assurance. And I'd like to know that before it's too late. Anybody like that here this morning? Love to pray with you. This happens weekly in our churches, I'm telling you. Every week, people say yes to Jesus. I'll just give you a moment, because I know what was going on in my heart and mind. I was battling that, going, no, 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 no. Pride, all kind of stuff. And it just took a moment to go, 
I need rest. Yes, I got it. I'll just give you one more minute. Anybody like that? Please pray for me. Father, we declare that in this house there will be multitudes of people who will say yes. And in this house there will be multitudes of people God, who will not just say yes to being born again, but will say yes to becoming a radical follower of your son, Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for Chris and Ruth for the decades that they've committed their lives to making disciples. Lord, we can see that with the people who are here. They've just invested in people. God, I pray a spirit of multiplication on that now. That, God, they just go from strength to strength. And this church now has a multiplication over it in Jesus' name that, Lord, it will raise up disciples that will not just affect this city and this nation, but the nations around it. God, we heard that prophesied Friday night, and we say yes and amen. God, we thank you for this great church and these great leaders in Jesus' name.